Okay. We're there? Checking. Okay. You got me. Okay, so we got a new microphone. It's a two-in-one. And so Bob was singing here from this one beautifully, by the way. I've asked Bob, but maybe I just need to be named Bob, because both of you guys have got awesome voices that I need. So um, I asked Bob to leave me his voice and his will, his preaching voice. Now, if I can get your singing voice down the road someday, long ago from now, I'm going to sound awesome. So uh, we got a new microphone a few weeks ago, and... Um, we in uh, both of these microphones are on the same unit. We can only use one at a time. All right, that's why you heard the big hum weird thing going on there. The old microphone, which I would have worn this morning because we were using that one, decided when I plugged it into another channel, it didn't want to work anymore. I think it does work. I'm just not smart enough to figure it out yet. So we haven't figured that out yet. Uh, I think it's mad because we replaced it against its will, but. Um, Anyway, we'll get all that, that ring figured out, and it'll just help you hear better. Anyway, make sure you're paying attention. Um, this morning, we are going to look at the life of Joseph, but not the Joseph we've been talking about for the last couple of months. We have a couple more messages there that we'll hit at the beginning of the new year. But this morning, we're going to look at Joseph in the New Testament, the Mary and Joseph. And so uh, I remember... You know, thinking of the faith of Joseph in the Old Testament. Now we see actually the faith of Joseph and Mary. Put that little qualifier in there so we understand which Joseph we're talking about. Um, so I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 1. And this is funny to me because I always write down the date I preach something. Uh, I opened up the, this, my Bible this morning and I wrote down 12-19-21 a year ago. This is the same passage I preached a year ago. It's not going to be the same message, though. Don't worry. I'm not, I, since I don't script anything, nothing ever comes out the same way twice. So, all right. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. And uh, I invite you to stand as we look at that word of God together. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Lord, teach us to trust the way these, um, what we would see as simple people did. Not because they, uh, they lacked intelligence, but because they seemed to the world to be insignificant. But we see, Lord, that your plan works through what we would see as ordinary. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This is one of my favorite Christmas passages. So if, we, if it's December 17th next year and I preach this again, don't be surprised. There's a lot of familiar here 
Uh, we, we see the verse, and it's the verse we've used as our memory verse, verse 23, not in this translation. But it's a, it comes from Isaiah chapter 7, the prophecy of the coming Messiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. If you've been in my office, I've got a big old banner. It says Emmanuel on it. It's one of my favorite titles for our Savior. It's God with us. God didn't see it as something to neglect those. He's not some kind of far-off God. But he is the one who is down here with us, enduring these trials and hardships that Bob mentioned earlier. He's with us, going through these struggles. And even as Christ, God in flesh, endured far more than we could ever imagine. If we think we had it hard, we were not God who had put himself in our flesh. Imagine being perfect and then getting stuck with this. And you can just, you know, go wherever you want to with that. But God, God knew that the only way to save us was to do it himself, see? And so when we see that name Emmanuel, we see God is with us. He's not some kind of distant, deist kind of idea of God where he just sets things in motion and then forgets it. But he's here enduring with us. And throughout history, even in the silence that is being addressed here, even in this moment, he has been paying attention and he has been enduring with his chosen people here, knowing that at the perfect time and the perfect place, he would send his son, Jesus. He would be the word. So, he comes to a young couple. Joseph is an interesting character primarily because we don't know a ton about him. We, we come to all kinds... <laughs> has a preacher ever driven you crazy? <laughs> Not anybody in this room. But sometimes we, we as, as preachers, make these assumptions that end up taking hold in someone's imagination that we can't prove. It's been speculated that Joseph was significantly older than Mary. You know where we get that? From nowhere. We don't know. We genuinely don't know. We've, we, I have heard three different interpretations on the social status of a shepherd. That they were the ordinary folks, that they were the stinky, smelly folks that everybody rejected. And they, everybody who says it, says it confidently. You know how, what we know? We know that there were shepherds. We, know, we don't know how old Mary was. I remember hearing as a kid that she was 12 or 13 years old. And, and it could be, but do we know how old Mary was? We don't. God chose to leave those things as a mystery, a glorious mystery, because God came in the ordinary. There was a young couple going through ordinary life experiences. They, they were betrothed, which is like engagement. You might see that word in there, but there's a legal status to it, that they were bound to one another. Legally, as the law went, they were married. But there was this period of time where they didn't get to enjoy the benefits of marriage. Let's put it that way. And so when Mary turns up pregnant, this is a problem for Joseph. 
however old he is, but we do know that he was a carpenter. <laughs> it says that later in, in the, I think it's chapter 13 of Matthew. That tecton is the word there, that he was a one who worked with wood. And we presume that that's what Jesus did. And we, we, we see that all along the way as his, his job. And it was, it was an ordinary thing. He was the carpenter's son and then from an ordinary place. And we look at the Gospel of Matthew and we see that there were all kinds of things that led up to the birth of this baby. In Matthew, we get a genealogy, which most of everybody goes, why are they there? Well, they're there because it shows us that it was in God's plan the whole time. Okay, He had it put together. These genealogies matter. They start this one with Abraham, and they work it to David, and then they go to the exile, and then they come to Joseph and Mary and Jesus. And so when we come to this place now, we come to a very ordinary young couple named Mary and Joseph, betrothed. They came, and before they came together, that's before they had the marital relations, she was found to be with child, and it says it directly here from the Holy Spirit. And this matters again as we look at chapter 23, because life itself is a miracle. First of all, that the fact that we exist here on earth, there's a reason I defend life, and I think things like abortion are a bad idea. Because God has put that together. It is a miracle that you are here on this planet. God is the author of life. He's the one that brings that from nothing. He is the one who makes you with purpose. And in this purpose, he is the one who brings life to the womb that is not, that is not ready for that, frankly. That God brings life without marital relations, the physical union that comes there. It is from the Holy Spirit. Now, Joseph... Mr. Ordinary, he realizes there's a problem when he hears that Mary is pregnant. So he says, I'm not sure I want to be with this girl anymore. Who could blame him? I mean, she wasn't faithful. We don't know what the future holds. And it took literally the audible voice of God to change his mind. Right? That's what it says. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. He didn't want to embarrass her. He just said, maybe this isn't a situation I want to be in. Verse 20, as he considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will be his name. We can come back to that. We're going to come back to that in a second. But... The, the angel of the Lord, the messenger of God, appears to him in a dream. God does speak through dreams. He does speak truth. And that's really what we need to realize that prophecy is, is the true word of God. It's not necessarily predicting the future, although there is an element to that that's a major part through Scripture. But it's teaching the truth that God loves you and he has a plan. And this is his plan. So Joseph, it says that he is righteous. Now, I want to, to ping on that a little bit as we go back, being a just man, it says in this translation in verse 19. He was unwilling to put her to shame. He was righteous. He realized that there was something that happened that he didn't want to be involved in. Okay, we're going to back out of this. But now, 
he has to prove his righteousness. Now, this isn't the first time we see this in Scripture, and it won't be the last. What is righteousness? Well, it's self-righteousness is doing all the right things the right way. And that's really what Joseph was thinking about at this point. And I can rate my sin against your sin and think, okay, I'm doing a little better than you are today. Maybe I remembered to put on deodorant today and you didn't. A little more righteous. But no, that's ridiculous. Because righteousness is much more cut and dry than that. We make it a lot of gray area that my good stuff is going to weigh out my bad stuff, so we're going to be better off if I do more good stuff than bad stuff. The problem is, is the bad stuff always crushes the good stuff. doesn't take much. It takes a lot to build up something good. doesn't take much to destroy it. Just one dumb little mistake or dumb intention. So, righteousness is something that is actually given. It is not something that we can earn. And so when we look at Joseph being a righteous man or being a just man, we need to realize that the definition of righteousness in Scripture is never by things he has done, the man or the woman or whoever. It's always by trusting in the Lord. It goes all the way back to this fellow named Abraham. Why was he counted righteous? Because he believed God. Why was David counted righteous with all the bad things that he did? Because he trusted the Lord. And we come forward to, like, even the prophecy of Habakkuk. I love this verse. I mean, Habakkuk is one of my favorite prophets. Uh, we, I went through his prophecy several years ago. It's only three verses, but we don't think necessarily... There we are. All right, I didn't mark it. Um, Habakkuk 2.4. I've got it on the screen there. The, la, the last little half of that says, but the righteous will live by his faith. And as we read through the prophecy like Habakkuk, where you have the prophet arguing with God, yes, it happens. And it's not unrighteous to do such a thing necessarily. We need to trust God. But sometimes we've got to learn some things. And how do you learn things except by having a discussion about it? And so Habakkuk files these complaints, and the Lord responds and says, Hey, I'm God, you're not. And in the middle of all of it, when Habakkuk is complaining that an unrighteous people in Babylon is bringing judgment on God's chosen line in Judah, God makes this statement that you see under the, uh, up before you at the moment. The righteous will live by faith. And that's a big thing in this time because they're about to get drug off to Babylon for 70 years and, and Jerusalem is never really the same. The temple is never the same. After that moment. But what are we called to do? We're called to trust God. And this verse appears in some important places in the New Testament. Romans chapter 1. You might have heard this verse before. I don't know. I mean, you've been in church a couple days, I think. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. 
So Paul uses that in, it, it, to remind us that we can't be counted good except by what God has done. What is faith? F- faith, belief, trust. They're all the same root word. They all mean the same thing. Is Do you believe God? Do you trust in Him? And he uses this passage again, Paul does, in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, all right, here we go. All right. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Paul says it again and again and again, but he uses this verse twice. That's kind of important. If you end up repeating yourself, if you end up repeating yourself, it might be important. Important. Reportance? That's not a word. Important. So now, as we return to Joseph, we don't know a lot about him. But what do we know? He trusted God. She will... What happened? Oh. Thanks, Rick. All right, so... Uh, she will bear a son, verse 21. Okay, he knows that there's something going on, right? His girlfriend's going to have a baby. His fiancé. That's a fun word to say. The French give us some cool words, but anyway. All right, so we'll get there. Fiancé. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That name Jesus itself is a picture of faith. It's transliteration into uh, Aramaic, Yeshua. We came from the Hebrew word Joshua. So if you know somebody named Joshua, guess what their name means? The Lord saves. We don't call in... in, I forget who I was talking to. Oh, it's one of the students who kept calling him. Yeah, Bob was talking about that earlier. He had a student named Jesus. He kept calling him Jesus. That's not what he goes. But if you go into Spanish, they call them Jesus. In, in English, it's Joshua, right? It's that same name. And that name itself is a promise that the Lord saves. So here's this guy, Joseph. All he wanted to do was get married. I've been there. Thank the Lord it happened. Dear Lord, thank you. Yet, at that moment, everything changed. And then, it changed again. Sometimes faith, sometimes trusting God, is a moment-by-moment thing. But as we look at all of how it comes together, we see his tapestry, his mosaic, putting it together for the beauty of the salvation of all humanity. The Lord saves. And so Matthew brings back this passage in Isaiah chapter 7. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel. Now, that name Emmanuel is not... Jesus, it means God with us, that is what's happening. 
It's a picture of fulfillment of the promise that God gave us. It's actually a dual fulfillment if you start looking at Isaiah chapter 7. It gets, it gets really interesting. And we see that sometimes in Scripture. We see it fulfilled two, two different ways. But in here, we talk about the, 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 chi- the child, the Christ child, the anointed one, the Messiah, God with us. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I remember going to Massachusetts when I was, uh, when I, after I was in seminary and we were doing a mission project with our church there. And God bless the pastor of that church. He took me to one of the fancy seafood restaurants. I'm a desert rat. I had more butter in my life than I had ever had. And I woke up in the middle of the night and said, what is happening? I don't think that's exactly what Joseph is experiencing here. Because what I knew is that my stomach hurt. (laughs) Here, he knew God had spoken to him. And how did he prove it? He did what he was told. And when he trusted God, guess what happened? But he told him what's going to happen. It's nothing fancy. (laughs) I mean, it is fancy. I couldn't have made this happen. But sometimes God says it, and we start questioning it. We go, is it really that way, God? Is this or that? Just think if Joseph was that guy. I'm not saying he didn't have his doubts along the way because he's human. But when he woke up, what did it say he did? When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife and he knew her not. He did not have relations with her until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. The picture of faith, the way faith is exposed, is by obedience. It doesn't. Our obedience proves our faith, but ultimately we, we do it because we trust the one who told us to. And really, obedience is always an act of faith. Think about learning how to drive a car. I remember learning how to drive a manual. Anybody remember those? And I remember my dad in his old 78 F-150 with a heavy clutch on it. And he said, don't pull it out too fast. You're going to kill the engine. Guess what was the first thing I did? Kill the engine. And you know, it was really scary the second time because that truck had a lot of power and it jerked hard when I killed that engine. Sometimes taking a step of faith can be scary. Sometimes it may not work exactly the way we thought it would that first moment. But God says, still, what does he say? Trust. Try it again. Now, thankfully, Joseph trusted the Lord. And why was Joseph considered worthy? Because he trusted God. And if you continue to read chapter 2, that we probably learn more about the character of this guy than, than we ever would anywhere else. Because down in, uh, where it's, under where it says the flight to Egypt, the angel comes back and says to him in a dream, take a child and flee to Egypt because Herod's going to kill him. So Joseph said, well, the first time, 
It seemed like he was right. I probably ought to go. He looked a lot like, got a lot like the last guy. What about angels? They're terrifying. They're not little fat little cherubs with wings on them going, you know, no, they're, the angel speaks to you, you're going to know. Take the child and flee. He's a, he's a man of righteousness because he places his trust in the Lord. James chapter 2, verse 17. We see all kinds of different ways that our faith is shown. Go to that real quick because I said something about it. James is a, it can be a controversial book actually in church history, it has been. But it says in verse 17, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. How do we show our trust in God? By doing what he says. And Jesus came that we might have salvation. He came and paid the price. He came at this little birth of Christmas time. Why we have so much red at Christmas. I, people come and on my pretty new tie. I, I like it too. But what does red remind us of? It's that shed blood of Jesus on the cross. It's to remind us, not of happy times where we have wonderful moments with family and the coldest time of the year and things like that. No, that's not, that, that, okay, that's fine, but that's not what it's about. It's about the blood that was shed for your sin and mine. And because Christ pays the, paid the price for sin, he gives us the opportunity then to trust him. That he has paid the penalty for our sin. That he has entered our brokenness and brought redemption. He has paid the price so that we can come back to God. The wage of sin is death. Christ was without sin. When he died, he became sin. To take the penalty that you and I could not pay. And this little baby that we celebrate that is a product of faith. Would God have done it through somebody else? I believe God could have done it through anyone he wanted to. Why did he pick Mary and Joseph? Because he knew they would trust him. And that's really the picture of righteousness that we see here, is that it's nothing that you and I can do. It's only something that has been done, and that is Christ. Salvation history draws us to this place where we see God at work in His Son through His earthly parents. But we come to a place where it's, is, it, is it just a happy fairy tale that we talk about every year in December so we can give presents to each other? Or is it the pivotal moment in history that changes everything? Hebrews chapter 11. All right, I keep flipping around. I should have marked these things this morning. Hebrews chapter 11, a couple of things. What is faith? The definition we see in Hebrews 11 is this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Who's him? God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. 
If you can't find God, you haven't looked for Him. He gave us Jesus. And He gave us the the Scriptures to remind us of His completed work. God is good. God is faithful. He had a plan from the start. Why did He do it that way? Because He chose to do it that way? I'm not God. I probably would have messed it up somehow. I know I would have messed it up somehow. It doesn't take long to figure that out. He chose the perfect time, it says in Galatians chapter 4, to send His Son to bring fulfillment to the law and the prophets so that you and I might see the redemption of the Lord in the land of the living, the goodness of the Lord. So the question I have for you today is, why are you here? Are you here because it's part of your routine? It's not a bad routine. You've got some good folks here. You can make some good friends. But that's not going to save you. A routine that I'm going to be here in this time and this place. Or are you here to, be, to learn of the redeeming love of Christ? To be reminded and encouraged through the scriptures? To be uplifted through the worship of the Savior who gave himself for you? Because that's why we're here. Is to be reminded of his goodness and his grace. And to trust that his work is still before us because of what he did for us on the cross. What do you believe about Jesus? Do you think you're righteous? Think about the characters we read of in the Bible. What makes them right before God? They believed him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Where do you place your trust and your faith today? Let's pray. God, you are good to us. You are faithful. I thank you for all that you have in store for each life that trusts in you. And Lord, there's that moment where we make a decision to believe that you are who you say you are. That moment of salvation. But then there are moments in our lives where we take that next step of trust in you. And for wherever anybody is today in that journey, I pray you draw them to you. None of us is righteous except for what you have done for us on the cross. Help us to trust you today. To walk in your love to walk in your grace, to bless your name. Lord, I pray for somebody, anybody here today who needs to take a step of obedience to trust in you, that they would bless you in that step. Thank you that there is nothing that we can do beyond trusting in you that can save us, but that we can receive that gift now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.